Excess is often man's favorite medication to self-prescribe when anything seems to be ailing them. You'll always be tempted for more of something when you're too tired from everything. And excess is quite often a symptom of stress. And when you are unaware of your stress, you will increase your excess all the more without even realizing it. Remember, something good can always come out of something bad when our good God is in it. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to The Leader's Cut. For those of you for whom this is your first time to join our conversation, let me just say welcome to the conversation. If this is your first time, jump in the comments and let us know. We're kind of trying to build a little bit of a community here around the conversation uh, and it's not just a one-sided conversation. One of my favorite things is to see the DMs and the comments uh, from this little community we're building uh, of like-minded believers. So if this is your first time to join us, jump in the comments and say, first-timer. Uh, and we'll, some of us in the comments will just give a shout-out and say, what's up? We're talking about something that um, I think everybody to some extent, battles a little bit, but it's a battle that some of us aren't aware we're fighting. And so some of us, when we hear the word excess, we might think, oh, that's not for me. I would say this, there's probably something in your life where you are prone uh, to experiencing or giving yourself a little bit too much of that thing. And the goal of this episode is to give you not just a, a biblical way to see excess, but it's also to help you understand where the desire for excess comes from. Because I felt the burden the Lord gave me for this episode was if, if I can teach you uh, kind of the soil of excess, then you will know what kind of biblical weed killer to use in your life to make sure that ungodly excess isn't something you experience from time to time. Because here's um, what I know. Excess is within reach of all of us, all right? So no matter where we feel we are in this area, whether we feel like we're just crushing it or whether we feel like excess is crushing us, let's keep an open mind and make sure our hearts are open as we step into this conversation. So let's pray and we'll jump into the cuts. God, thank you so much for being you. you. You're amazing. There is none like you. There is none above you. You are the greatest thing about being us. The best part of being me is you. And Lord, I, with all of my heart, believe that you want us to experience more and more and more of you. But sometimes when we get or give ourselves more and more and more of the stuff, the more and more of that can get in the way of more and more of you. So Spirit of the living God, would you, during our time together, would you take the scalpel of heaven, which is so gentle yet so sharp, would you use your word like a scalpel to cut on us 
thereby making more and more room for you. Would you open our eyes and our ears to see and hear what you want us to see, what you want us to hear, as we open up our hearts to receive everything you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump into this conversation about excess. And if there was a one-liner that I want to use to kind of calibrate your thinking on this topic, especially if you think you're crushing it in the area of excess, uh, I just want to give this to you as a thought, all right? Excess is often man's favorite medication to self-prescribe when anything seems to be ailing them. It doesn't matter what we're talking about, right? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time being specific, whether we're talking about too much alcohol or going after too much success that God doesn't ask for, going after too many possessions. I'm not going to get too much sleep, too, too all, I'm not going to get specific about the object of the excess because I, I, that's too specific to every person. But I do want us all to be able to admit that giving ourselves a little bit too much of something can often be our favorite medication to self-prescribe ourselves when something seems to be hurting us. So with that thought, let's jump into this conversation, all right? I'm gonna give you three questions so that we can kind of get a comprehensive look at this issue of excess, and we're gonna have a lot of scripture uh, throughout this conversation because it is his word that is the scalpel of heaven. Uh, so let's jump into question number one. First, what is excess? What is excess? Okay, we're not gonna spend a ton of time here, just making sure we're, we're starting on the same page. Excess is obtaining or consuming more than what is personally healthy or biblically established. So that you don't have to rewind that, I'm gonna say it again for emphasis. Excess is obtaining or consuming more than what is personally healthy or biblically established. To be clear, Excess can either be too much in measure or it can be too consistent in reach. Here's what I mean by that. For instance, a wine. Wine is not inherently bad. Jesus had wine from time to time. Scripture does not forbid us from having wine. Scripture forbids us from having too much wine. And that points to excess. So, that's an example of excess being too much in measure. But the other side of excess, or another part of it is, uh, when something is too consistent in reach. So let's take the same conversation, alcohol. Uh, for me personally, uh, I, I will have a glass of wine or a bourbon with friends um, once, maybe twice a week. Maybe twice a week. Now, I'm not... I'm not Everybody has different convictions. That's where I fall. That's kind of the line I felt the Lord has drawn for me. Uh, and here's what excess would look like. Too many nights in a row. Too consistent of a reach towards alcohol on a nightly basis. 
But here's what's really dangerous. The danger of excess isn't just too much in measure or too consistent in reach. The danger of excess is when it's both. When I too consistently reach for it and I reach for too much in measure of it. So if that's where you are, if you're in a tough spot and uh, excess is a way that you're numbing, and oftentimes it is, uh, let me just say, I'm not coming at you. I'm not trying to make you feel like garbage. I do want the Holy Spirit to bring for all of us a measure of conviction, uh, but I'm not on the attack, all right? That's not my job to attack you, all right? But if that's where you are, please promise me you'll do your best to make it through the entirety of this episode because I believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. And I believe that there might be a supernatural moment towards the end of this episode where the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to some things, but also gives you a path to walk out, to overcome whatever was causing the excess. All right? Okay. When we talk about excess, before we move to the second question, I also need you to understand this, all right? So what it is, too much in measure or too consistent in reach, but also I need you to understand excess isn't just a lot of bad things. Excess can also be good things you're getting too much of. Here's an example of this. Let's say you have a favorite TV show, all right? And you just found this show. They don't, they don't uh, shoot it anymore, but it had like 14 seasons. And you, you are in a bit of a rough season and you hook onto this show. And any chance you get, you are binging this show to where you've watched nine episodes back to back to back to back to back to back to back. Okay, good thing. The show's not inherently bad, but if I watch nine episodes, seven episodes a day, several times a week, that's a good thing I'm getting too much of. Here's how I want you to see this so that you can understand this principle. Too much of a good thing can be even worse for you than a little bit of a not so good thing. Okay, so hear me when I say this. I'm not saying too much of a good thing is worse for you than some of a not so good or sinful thing. I'm not saying too much of a good thing is worse than a little bit of sin. I'm not saying that at all. I'm trying to help you see that if, if you know a little bit of, of a sin, a bad thing is bad for you, I need you to see that in the same way, too much of a good thing can be just as bad for you, all right? So that whole kind of saying of, there's no such thing as too much of a good thing, I don't think that's biblical. The Bible uses a word for that, and the word is excess. So don't just think about too, too much of a bad thing. That's excess. No, 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 it can be too much of a good thing too, all right? Okay, question number two, and we gonna camp out right here because this just seemed to be the burden the Lord gave me for this episode, right? And I'm actually going to give you 10 things, 10 answers to this question. 
I, I can't remember the last time I, I had 10 sub points for a point. But here's question number two. As we talk about excess, we have to understand why does excess happen? Why does excess happen to us? How do we get into excessive situations? I believe there are some very specific, powerful, yet practical things that if we will understand that these things can be true of us, it will actually empower us and enable us to deal with things that are lurking inside of us, which could lead to dangerous excess before having to lose something because of excess. If we'll learn it now, it'll save our bacon later. All right. Okay. Why does excess happen? Here's the first answer to this question. Because you're lacking. You're lacking. And, and here's what you're really lacking. You're lacking an understanding of fuel. Now, I talk about this from time to time, and at some point we're going to do uh, a series on uh, the, the six pillars. And part of that teaching is God created you with needs. And I'm, I'm not really talking about in this answer to the question about lacking something specific. I'm talking about lacking understanding of how God created you to work. All right. Philippians chapter four, verse 19 says, and my God will supply every need of yours. Okay. Here, I'm, we're going to talk about this verse later in the episode, but I wanted to use this towards the beginning of the episode to help you understand God created you with needs. Humans have needs. A lot of us think needy people have needs, but not everybody has needs. That is garbage. Every human was created by God with needs. The only person who needs nothing is God. And here's what you need to understand about the difference between a healthy human and an unhealthy human. Healthy humans meet their needs in healthy ways, whereas unhealthy humans meet their needs in, you guessed it, unhealthy ways. Part of being unhealthy is a lack of understanding. Okay, see, we think of healthy as, you know, somebody who's just doing all the right things. No, sometimes we're unhealthy because we just don't know how to be healthy. We don't know what it takes. We don't know something about us that if we knew it, we would know how to deal with it. And if we knew how to deal with it, it would help us to be healthy. But since we don't know, we're unhealthy. All right. Let me kind of describe it like this. You know certain things about your automobile. My friends on the other side of the pond, your auto. You know certain things about your car, right? You know that your car was created to run on gasoline, let's say, in, in our country. And let's say one day uh, you ran out of gas and you ran out of gas at your house. And so your option was either to call the, the company to have it pulled to the gas station so you get fuel or have somebody come bring it, but you're out in the middle of nowhere where you live. And so that's not really an option. So you have this genius idea. Well, 
gasoline is a liquid. Water is a liquid. Here's what I'll do. I'll just put uh, an ocean's worth of water in my car's gas tank. Water, liquid, gasoline, liquid. Same, same, close enough, right? And if I just put more of that thing into my car, well, more of that thing must be a better thing. This might seem like a silly illustration, but you've got to understand lots of people try to do this as it relates to their needs because they don't fully understand the needs God created them to have. It's like putting a bunch of water into a car's gas tank. Even though it's liquid, it ain't the right liquid. And when it's not the right liquid, it will not bring about the right result. Here's another way to say this. An excess of the wrong thing will always make things worse. One of the ways um, that I've kind of learned somebody is uh, struggling with excess uh, and they're still kind of in that ignorant phase. They don't know enough about them. And so they overcompensate. One of the ways I've learned to spot someone like that is they talk too much about their stuff. They overcompensate with verbal excess. Let me just kind of connect this to someone who is lacking an understanding of the way God created them to function. When you talk too much about your too much, it only reveals your understanding of how God sees you, what God says about you, and how God made you is far too little. Talky talky, chatty Kathy, they overcompensate, talking about all their excess. But if I don't see, you, you can talk about all that excess. Oh, I've got so much water. But if the car doesn't have enough gas, I don't care how much water you have in your life. Having a bunch of one thing does not make up for the fact that you are lacking essential things in other areas of your life. God created you with needs and you don't have the ability to cheat the system. Trust me, I have tried. I've tried to figure out a workaround. It just doesn't work. God won't bless it. He created me and you to work a certain way. A little hot tea. Just trying to take care of the old throat. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so first, uh, the first reason excess can become a thing is you're lacking. Second, you're leaking. First, you're lacking. Second, you're leaking. Here's how I would describe leaking. Where more good is going out of you then good is coming back into you. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse 13 says this, as for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. This is a fascinating verse that I hear thrown around from time to time, like an encouragement. It, it, it's like this almost cliched encouragement that isn't even used for the principle that I believe in part, God is wanting us to understand. How can a person grow weary in doing good? See, we just respond like, hey, it's just a part of it. Just keep on going. Don't grow weary in doing good. No, no, no. I want to know the how. How can someone grow weary 
while doing good? I've already given you the answer. I think it's when more is going out and it's good. You're doing good things. Taking care of the kids, sewing into the kids, sewing into your marriage, taking care of your spouse, doing things on the job beyond what you're asked for, serving your church, just doing all kinds of things. Good. I think a weariness in doing good comes from being in a season where I'm allowing more good to go out than good to come back in. Let me say this for the person that, that this is describing. The number one way to leak is to care for others better or more than yourself. A little bit of conviction entered some of your rooms right now. And this, that's a beautiful thing. You're amazing. You're a caregiver. You're, you're doing an incredible job. But it's possible you may be going too far. It's possible you got way too much going out. And not enough coming back in. I've been there. Here's what I'd say I've learned. Being in that spot. You'll take shortcuts for yourself whenever you choose to shortchange yourself. And excess is one of the ways we do it. You'll give yourself too much of something to try and make up for the much you are lacking. Okay, I'm, I'm going to keep being a dead horse on this one. If that's as foolish as putting water in your gas tank, thinking your car could make it all the way across the country on water instead of gas. We're just setting ourselves up for failure when we adopt this way of thinking. Yes, it's an amazing thing you're doing by doing so much good for so many in this season of your life. But here's what you have to remember. If you're not going to fall into the sin of excess, you're going to have to make sure that more good is being put back into you, getting the things that you need, as more good goes out of you or more good comes from you, all right? Both things can be true. But if I were your enemy here and, and you're kind of this type of person, here's what I would try and, and get you to do. I would try and get you to think that only one can be true, that there's not enough to go around, not everybody's needs can be met, so you be the heroically chivalrous person to make sure everybody else's needs are going to get met. But if you're going to make sure their needs are going to get met, your needs cannot be met. And so you need to take shortcuts to meet your needs. That is not how God talks. You don't have to take shortcuts. All right. So hear me as your brother. I'm not just telling you some Christian cliche. Just if you're weary, just don't be weary in doing good. No, no, no. I'm telling you, you need to figure out why you're weary. Why are you leaking? Where are you giving a little bit more than what God's asking for? You could do a whole episode on that mother right there. Oftentimes, one of the reasons we're leaking is because we're giving too much to something beyond what God asked us to give. But then also, the same can be said on the other side of the coin that we're just, we're not getting enough good back into us. So, the first one is, I don't even know what good needs to be put back into me. The second one is, once you know, you're just not getting enough 
of the things God created you to need. All right. Here's the third thing. The third answer to this question. Where does excess come from? Like, how does excess become a thing in our lives? This one, I'm, I'm going to have to walk you through a little bit, but I, I had to learn this very quickly when I was growing up at Gateway as typically the youngest guy in the room. Okay. Uh, here's the third answer. Excess comes when you're lingering. And let me, let me explain this. Okay. Um, when I say lingering, um, maybe in your job or if you're a stay at home parent, um, no matter your situation, you find yourself around other people and maybe even more specifically, a specific type of person. And, uh, God's given you that responsibility. He's given you that influence and, um, without realizing it, here's what can happen. Let's just say you work in an environment where everybody else has a lot more money than you. Okay. This is probably the easiest example. Here's what lingering looks like. You stop thinking about your financial situation and you catch yourself lingering, thinking about all of theirs. Here's how it looked for me practically when I was growing up at Gateway. I was always the youngest guy in the room, typically. And in my late 20s, I was getting invited into the boardroom. These guys were ballers. I mean, they, they were doing big things for the kingdom in business. I mean, one guy's got a, you know, probably several hundred million dollar company. The guy next to him has a several million, hundred million dollar company. These guys uh, had access to things I didn't have access to. And when I was first in those rooms, I kind of was paying too much attention to the season in life they were in and thinking I had to keep up. Well, if they're buying new golf clubs, I got to get new golf clubs. If they're getting a new car every two years, I got to get a new car every two years. If they're getting a new house every three years, well, then shouldn't I be getting a new house every three years? Lingering is when you spend too much time thinking about someone else's situation. And it causes you to start chasing more of something God isn't entrusting you with. Lingering around something you shouldn't is a sign you're probably about to lose something you wanted to keep. I've learned this the hard way. Let's get back to the money. If, if you're willing to let yourself linger and instead of just go in, be used by God to minister, and then bow out and go back home, get back into reality, you let yourself linger. It'd be like me working in Scottsdale and looking at everybody's houses and cars and planes and all that stuff. And, and instead of going in and ministering and going out and going back home to my normal, I start lingering, thinking too much about their normal, and it causes me to start chasing their normal. Here's what happens every time when you linger around something you shouldn't. Typically means you're about to lose something you wanted to keep. 1 Corinthians 7.17 has genius wisdom for this. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to them and to which God has called them. This is the principle. God's assigned you 
to a particular path that he's not assigned me to. God's assigned me to a particular path he's not assigned you to. So we don't need to be thinking about each other's paths too much. Man, I want you to be blessed. Sis, I want you to be blessed. I want you to be blessed beyond me. And what I have to work on is not lingering as I look at how God's blessed you in such a way that it causes me to chase after more of what you've got at the expense of what I've already got. Let me help you understand why we do this. You linger because you long for it. And you long for something because you covet it. You covet something because you're comparing to someone. And you compare to someone because you're insecure with yourself. See that slippery slope? This is how Jesus admonishes us to deal with this tension. Luke 12, verse 15, Jesus says, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, lingering too long looking at what someone else has. I could have just said, you covet, but I wanted to say you linger because I think that's what leads to the whole problem. Jesus says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life, Preston, does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus is saying, listen, bro, your life isn't going to be measured by more stuff. So excess, Preston, is actually a, a defeating exercise. Chasing excess is actually an exercise in perpetual defeat because your life isn't defined by the extra stuff, Preston. Brings us to the next answer to the question, where does, does excess come from? How does it happen? You're exhausted. You're exhausted. Typically, for me, this one really hits for me. Um, the more tired I am, the more tempted I am. You'll always be tempted for more of something when you're too tired from everything. The more tired I am, typically, the more temptation I can experience. Here's, here's how I would say it, okay? Uh, when you're exhausted, part of the reason we get exhausted is because it's like we're running to a clock. And so you're in a busy season and you're putting in 12 plus hour days just grinding and it's two o'clock. I mean, think about it. We measure busy seasons with a clock and I'm just, I put in 70 hours this week. Da, da, da. It's the clock, right? Well, when we get exhausted, typically our response is to blow the clock up, to throw the clock in the ocean, to get it as far away from us as is humanly possible. Now that's good for a time, but not for too long. Here's why, okay? It, going back to the Netflix thing. An episode or two of my favorite show is not bad, but when there's no clock, how do I get to nine straight episodes when there's no clock? How do I get to a, a, a spot where there's no clock when I'm exhausted? When I'm exhausted, I ditch the clock. When I ditch the clock, I open the door for excess. And it all started with exhaustion. Tiredness and temptation often go hand in hand. 
So part of what we need to understand, what do you look like when you're tired? Do you even know? It's funny this morning. Uh, I kind of been in a, in a, a sprint season and it's been a lot of fun. I feel like God's in it. I feel like he's, there's a little bit of an open heaven. And, and so I'm just trying to keep up with him. And, and so that invigorates me. It energizes me. I get excited about it. Um, and I jumped on a FaceTime this morning. Uh, and while I was waiting for the person to answer, I was looking at the picture of myself. And here was my thoughts. Bro, you are tired. I mean, I look tired. And it's okay. Like, I, I, what's not okay is not knowing I'm tired. When we know we're tired, we know how to protect ourselves from doing something stupid. But when we don't know we're tired and we get tempted, that's when life-changing choices can be made. And you don't get a redo for those. Exhaustion is something we all need to be aware of. One of the reasons God created the Sabbath is because he created humans to run with a rhythm of rest. And here's why. Because a tired enemy is an easy enemy. The easiest you to pick off, if I am your enemy, the easiest you to pick off is a tired you. Think about Satan waits. It was genius. Satan waits until Jesus is exhausted from fasting those 40 days. Then he comes to tempt him. It's a genius strategy. And I believe God made sure it was in scripture so that we would understand our enemy's playbook. He likes to cheat the system. Our enemy is a little bit lazy. And so he looks for tired opponents. Because a tired opponent is easy to tempt. It's easy to entice. Because when I'm exhausted, my guard's down. I don't have the best judgment when I'm tired. I honestly think, now let me be a little specific about uh, people in ministry. Um, because one of the things we talk about among pastors and with our pastors, whether you are one or not, is this moral failures. How do moral failures happen? Where does a moral failure start? Well, typically it can start with a pain point, uh, a wound that hasn't been healed. But I think the, uh, gasoline for the bonfire of hurt, I think the gasoline is exhaustion. Because when we're tired, we just don't have the same ability to fight the fight, to protect the boundaries, to enforce the boundaries, to not cross the boundaries. When we're exhausted, it's like, I know it's wrong. It's fine. I just don't even have the emotional energy, the physical energy to fight it. It's okay. In this conversation on excess, understand exhaustion plays a major role. All right? Here's the next answer to the question. Where does excess come from? Why does it happen? Here's the answer. Because you're peaking. 
Here's another way to say it. You're, you're stressed. By peaking, don't think about reaching your peak of productivity. Think about reaching the red line of your humanity. When I drive my truck and pull our fifth wheel uh, with it, my truck is a beast, uh, six-wheel dually. It's designed for heavy loads. I think uh, in a lot of ways, I feel a little bit like my truck. I don't have the sexiest truck. I uh, love my truck to the moon and back, uh, but it's, it's not the sexiest thing. It's designed to be under heavy load. That's kind of how I see me just a little bit um, and, and us. That's why Jesus said, come all who are weary and heavy laden carrying heavy weights. Jesus, he's talking to somebody. I think he's talking to us, right? We're designed to live under a load. If we don't feel a measure of load, then we're probably not doing the Christian life right. Right? The violent lay hold of the kingdom by force. But we all have the ability to go too far. And that's when stress comes in. Stress to me is being under too much load for too long. That stress. I can be under load for stints. Uh, I, can, I can handle a measure of stress for short bursts for seasons, right? I can go hard and then I can let off a little bit, recuperate, re, re-energize. Stress, though, is too much load for far too long, okay? Uh, and excess is quite often a symptom of stress. We chase too much whenever we are handling too much. I've seen this a ton where somebody is caring too much. They know what they're about to do is wrong, but they are so tired of carrying everything. It's almost like they intentionally sabotage themselves by going for too much. So they get drunk, they get a DUI. And I know I'm talking about alcohol. That's just a, a, a snapshot of excess. They know what they're doing is wrong, but they're so sick of caring too much. They crash. They ruin their car. They get arrested. You know the story. But it started with being under too much load for far too long. Stress. Here's the problem with stress. Stress creates a lack of self-awareness. I like to think that I'm a fairly self-aware human most of the time. But when I'm stressed, I have learned. When I am least self-aware, it's when I am most stressed. And if it goes too far, here's the word I would use to describe it. A numbness. Too much stress for too long doesn't just create a lack of self-awareness. It almost creates a numbness. I can't even feel. It's like all my nerve endings are fried because they've all been crushed by the excess of weight I allowed myself to carry for an excess of time. And when you are unaware of your stress, you will increase your excess all the more. And here's the dangerous part without even realizing it. There's a term for this out in the world called dopamine chasing. And we all have to be aware of this. I'm trying to study dopamine a little bit more 
I didn't even know this is how the body worked. There are things uh, that we do that produce something in our brain called dopamine. And dopamine gives us this hit of pleasure. All right. And then, so it has, imagine it like a spike. Dopamine spikes. So it causes us to feel a spike of pleasure. But then God designed it in a way where it also then afterwards creates like a crash in pain. So, and here's why, because it motivates you to go out and do more, right? So in the hunter hunting and gathering uh, season on the earth, the dopamine that you would get from acquiring a, a, a deer for dinner after you consume the meal, there's a crash. And what did the crash cause you to do? It caused you to go out and go do it again, right? So there's, there's an inherent part of dopamine that is healthy. But when you start to fixate on the hit you get at the top, what doctors say you begin doing is chasing dopamine. And there's a variety of ways, maybe in the physical episode on the pillars, we'll spend more time talking about dopamine with an expert. But when we start chasing the dopamine hits, uh, this is when, when we're unaware of it, we are redlining. We're redlining because what our mind is saying uh, without us even realizing it is, the only way you're going to be able to keep going is if you just get as much of that top feeling and then it's just enough to keep going. Listen to me. There is guaranteed to be a devastating crash when you are a dopamine chaser. It's a shortcut and it never works for long. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to get that hit. You're going to feel a little bit better for a little while, uh, but it, it ain't going to produce the long-term result that you need. Stress, when we are unaware of our stress level, without even realizing it, we're probably reaching for something more than we should, and we don't even realize we're doing it. Preston, what would that look like? Here's what it looks like. You don't count how many days you reach for it. And then someone says to you, your spouse says to you, hey, babe, is it just me? Or is that the sixth day in a row you've done that? Like I love bluebell ice cream and a brownie, but we can all admit if I ate it for breakfast and dessert after dinner every day for six days, it probably points to a problem in my life. And if Holly said to me, hey, babe, is it just me or have you done this six straight days? Okay, here's what I need to hear when she's saying that. It's not just, hey, babe, you're getting too much of a good thing and it's getting bad. I also need to hear myself say, I had no idea. And admit, oh, I'm a little more out of touch with me than I thought, which typically means I'm a little more stressed. Then I realized stress, you're peaking, you're redlining is one of the uh, biggest reasons I believe we reach for excess. Here's another one. And this one 
may feel like it lands in a really sensitive spot, but uh, let's walk it through together, all right? Another place where excess comes from is when you feel you're failing. It's not uncommon to reach for too much when you feel you are accomplishing too little. This is excess with the goal of overcompensation. We feel like we're lacking over here and we, we feel like we can't do anything about it, which is a lie of the enemy, almost always. And since we're lacking over here and we can't do anything about it, we think, well, I'll just get more of what I do have control of over here. And that, that will in some way offset the problem and, and we'll be good. No, no. Getting more of something just to make yourself feel better about failing typically points to the fact that you don't see failure the right way. I've told you this before. Failure involves learning. Failure is an education. The only real failure is if you choose not to learn from your mistakes. But here's, here's what I've personally learned about people who, when they're failing, they reach for excess. I've seen it plenty of times. Uh, they reach for credit cards and they spend. They reach for alcohol and they drink themselves to sleep. They reach for accomplishments uh, in another field that has nothing to do with their job or, or whatever. I'm failing over here. I've got to overcompensate with something over here. Typically, that type of person, it's an identity problem. Success or doing has become their identity. And when they feel they can't do something about not doing enough, they just reach for the nearest thing that will give them a hit and get as much of it as they can. And it's like eating a tub of ice cream to give yourself the sugar high, the hits, the emotional hits to make you forget about failing in a marriage. Sounds silly, but just think about this. Will a tub of ice cream save your marriage? No, the two things are completely unrelated. And yet, time and time again, people, when experiencing relational failure, will reach for food to feel better. But the problem isn't food. The problem is how they see their failure. How do you see failing? How do you respond when you fail? Do you celebrate your failures? If you don't celebrate your failures, you might be inclined to anesthetize in the midst of failure, to numb yourself with excess so you temporarily forget about how you feel or what others think about your failure. Be really, really careful, all right? One failure usually won't do it. If you feel like you have a string of several failures, this is when we really need to be careful with excess, all right? And here's, if, if you wonder, well, okay, Preston, if I'm in a little bit of a streak of stumbling, uh, 
what do I do? Bring people into your failure. Flip the lights on. Most people hide their failures. What else do we hide? Bad habits. Anytime I, I experience something I want to hide, I typically try to expose it because I've learned about me. Maybe this isn't true about you, but I'm pretty sure it's true of the human condition. Anytime I hide something I want to hide that I'm ashamed of, it, it can and often does lead to me doing something else that I want to hide too. Be careful. Make sure. You understand how you see failure. Make sure you deal with it in a healthy way. And for me, the way I've learned how not to compound my failures is to bring people into my failures. I talk about it on the stage. I talk about it with you. And you didn't even know part of why I was doing it. It was so that I don't let one failure turn into five failures. A failure I'm willing to hide is typically going to lead to an excess of something I'll choose to hide too. Be aware, all right? Here's the next thing. Uh, scripture really makes this one a clear one. Um, excess can come most often when you're out of control. Excess typically comes when we are out of control. The way it would be talked about in the New Testament, self-control. Excess is almost impossible when I am walking in the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. The other side of that coin, excess is almost guaranteed every time I allow myself to be out of control. Proverbs 25, verse 28, says this about a person, me, you, when we don't have self-control. Proverbs 25, 28 says, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. Get that picture. The easiest city to take is a city with no protective walls. God is helping us understand through his word, Preston, you are easy to pick off when you don't have self-control. I think sometimes we convince ourselves uh, that we're in control when we're not. This is why we need to let others in. Here's how I have kind of taught myself this principle. I have learned never to say yes to myself all of the time. Never, ever, ever say yes to yourself all the time. Question, are you right all the time? <laughs> what percentage of the time do you think you're right? Please don't say 100% because we need to do an episode on pride if, if, that's, if that's your answer. You're not right all the time. I'm not right all the time. Nobody is. We're not God. We don't have knowledge. We don't know the end from the beginning. I am never right all the time. Therefore, I have learned because I'm not right all of the time. I've learned. Preston, never say yes to yourself all of the time. If you ask me, Preston, how would you describe a lack of self-control. Here's how I would describe it. Saying yes, yes to yourself whenever you want, whatever you want. 
well, I just feel like saying this to this person. And so I'm going to. That's a lack of self-control. Well, I just feel like buying this thing, even though I, I know I have to put it on a credit card, but I mean, it's been a long month and I deserve this. And so I'm going to say yes to myself. I'm going to buy it. You know how much trouble I've gotten into by saying yes to myself when I should have said no? Scripture just says, comes right out with it. Preston, you're about as easy as it comes to pick off by your enemy when you're living without self-control. It's impossible to live a life of excess and be walking in the spirit of God. I'm convinced of this. It's impossible to be led by the spirit, which will lead to producing the fruit of the spirit which one of the fruits is self-control. It's impossible to live a life of excess and be living by the Spirit while being led by the Spirit. We're going to operate in self-control, which is going to mean saying no to yourself a good part of time. Listen, I've just walked you through a number of scenarios. Wait, stress, if you're overly stressed, that's a season where you need to say no to yourself, most likely, more than you say yes to yourself. When I'm exhausted, I need to say no to myself far more than I say yes to myself. These times when my, my defenses are down, that's when we make bad decisions. And the problem with excess isn't one bad decision. It's many bad decisions and a lot of a single bad decision. You talk about dangerous. When we're out of control, excess is easy. <laughs> you know, a hard question to ask right now, if you're kind of in a season of excess, are, are you in control? I'm not talking about self-control. Are you controlling everything where you say yes to yourself? See, the enemy comes and says, you know what? You need to feel safe. You need to control everything. You know what that leads to? Actually being out of control. Because my flesh cannot be in control at the same time as the spirit is divinely enabling me to walk in self-control. I can't do both at the same time. And excess can be a very fast way to tell whether or not you are operating with self-control. I personally believe it's impossible to be walking in self-control and living in excess. All right? Okay, here's the next one. I think we have uh, two more, I think. Two, maybe three. Uh, here's what I've learned. Uh, excess comes when you're running. Excess can come when you're running from something. When there's something you know you should do, but for one reason or another, you feel overwhelmed at the thought of doing it. And so not only do you not do it, you run in the opposite direction and you fill your mind and your time with doing things you shouldn't do. Listen to me. When we aren't doing enough of what we should do, we often do too much of what we shouldn't do. This is what I call punitive procrastination. Like you're, you're running from something. You know you're supposed to 
to do this project, but the thought of the project and possibly failing uh, with the project is overwhelming you. And so you're kind of numbing yourself by reaching out for excess and too much of a good thing. And you don't even realize how much this procrastination is punishing you because you're not just like lazy, lazily procrastinating. You're excessively procrastinating. You're not procrastinating in laziness. You're procrastinating in excess. And that kind of procrastination is always punitive. It's a punisher. And that's how a day of a bad thing turns into a month of a bad thing and a month of many bad things. Filling our time with trash gives us the excuse that we don't have enough time to do the ask. Like, hey, what'd you get done today? Oh, I was just so busy today. And we don't even say what we were busy with watching nine straight episodes on Netflix. I was so busy. I just couldn't do it today. I didn't have enough time to do what I needed to do because there was just too much else to be doing. And we're actually lying because we're running from something. When we run away from something that's overwhelming us, we often end up overwhelming ourselves with something we should only have this much of. It's overcompensation. So we run. Maybe you're a runner. If that's you, before you reach for more of something, why don't you do a little bit of digging in your heart to go, why am I running? Person, I don't even want to think about that. Oh, okay. Well, then sign up for the punishment, for the penalty that comes with procrastinating with excess. And I don't just mean procrastinating a lot. I mean filling your procrastination with chasing excessively. Two more. Uh, This one I really love. Excess can come when you are supplying. When, When you are your supplier, we can often end up in the land of excess. Let me say it like this. Man was never created to be man's supply. Let me take you back to Philippians 4.19. I read it at the beginning of the episode. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. How does that verse start out? Who shall supply all your needs? My God. Your God was meant to supply your needs. He's my provider, not me. When I take over being the supplier, I always give myself too much. But he is the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the end from the beginning. He is the one who created me. I am just me, but he created me. So he knows exactly what I need because he created me with all of my needs. And the reason he created me with all of my needs is because one of his favorite things to do is be the supplier for all of my needs. When man becomes man's supplier, man always ends up giving too much, getting too much. There's a moment in scripture after uh, David falls with Bathsheba 
this one verse has fascinated me for years. Uh, it, it happens when Nathan confronts David after falling in sin. So remember, David doesn't just sleep with Bathsheba. He kills her husband, Uriah. And uh, then God confronts him through Nathan. Nathan tells the story. One of the most famous lines uh, in David's life is when Nathan says, you are that man. And then this is what happens next. The very next verse, 2 Samuel 12, verses 7 and 8. The Lord, the God of Israel, says to David, I anointed you king of Israel, and I saved you from the power of Saul. I gave you your master's house and his wives in the kingdoms of Israel and Judah. And if that had not been enough, I would have given you much, much more. What? I want you to think about this. God is saying to David, David, why did you take matters into your own hands? Why didn't you tell me you felt you were lacking something? Why didn't you talk to me about this? Why did you just take matters into your own hands as though you were your own supplier? David, not only am I the supply, I'm the supplier. I supply you with the supply you were meant to run on. And part of that is me. I, if you would have needed something and you would have told me, I would have given you even more than what I gave you. David, you convinced yourself that what I'd given you was not enough. And instead of talking to me about it, you took matters into your own hands and you went after excess. And it's going to cost you a child. What we learned from David, if you're feeling lack, talk to God about it. Talk to God before you take matters into your own hands and convince yourself, well, if God's not going to give it to me, then I'm just going to give it to myself. I'm just going to go get it. Before you take matters into your own hands, please, please talk to God about it first. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches. According to his supply, he will supply you. If you feel a lack, don't lie about it. Talk to God about it. You are not. Man was never meant to be man's supply. God created us with needs and parts so that we would realize our need for him. Sometimes chasing excess comes because you think you're lacking and you think it's your responsibility. You're the only one who can make it happen. And so you go after it. And when man seeks to be his own supplier, man eventually goes after too much. David went after too much and it cost him greatly. Here's the 10th. We made it through 10 subpoints. I love this, this little conversation here that's not so little. Here's the last way I want to submit to you where excess is guaranteed to happen. All right? Excess happens when you've crowded God out. Excess happens when you've crowded God out. Romans 14, 12, talking about 
one day when we'll stand before God, but I want to use this to calibrate our perspectives, not just of judgment, but of every day of our lives. Romans 14, 12. So then each of us shall give account of himself or herself to God. Question, as it relates to excess, do you think if you thought at the end of every day of your life, you had to give account to God, literally stand before him and say, this is what I did. This is what I didn't do. This is what I should have done. This is what I did too much of. Do you think if you stood before God and had to give account of your entire day, do you think you would ever have too many days where you had too much excess of the wrong thing, of the bad stuff? I know I wouldn't. If, if I felt I actually had to answer before bedtime every day, I would probably experience excess far less. See, when God's in the middle of everything, it leads to a healthier life. When temptation arises, your healthy self, with the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you, pulls out the calculator of conviction and counts the cost quickly. Whereas your unhealthy self brings up the laundry list of justifications. When God's in the center, it's amazing how fast conviction comes and wisdom. Holy Spirit will be like, Preston, come on now. You, you know what that's going to lead to? That'd be the dumbest thing you can do. I know your flesh wants to do That'd be stupid, Preston. That'd be foolish. Don't do it. You're right. You're right. It costs too much. Okay, that's what the healthy me sounds like. The Spirit led me. <laughs> the unhealthy me. Well, I mean, you know. It's been a long month and I just haven't been getting the love I need from the people I love. And I mean, it's been stressful and, and man, I just been so much good's been going out of me. I mean, I know this thing over here isn't the best choice, but I mean, in light of all this other stuff, it's okay. That is the tone of justification. And when I pull out the laundry list of justifications, why I should do something wrong that I know isn't right, I know I have crowded God out with excess. I've pushed him to the fringe of my life, which only makes more room for more excess, which makes room for more pain, disappointment, failure, loss, Penalty, confusion, go down the list. Excess exists when we keep God out of the conversation. It's part of what God was saying to David. Why did you leave me out of this conversation? Why didn't you let me onto the balcony while you were looking at Bathsheba? I was trying to talk to you, David. We're best friends. I was trying to talk to you. But in your heart, you were crowding me out, going through a laundry list of reasons why you thought it was okay to be doing what you were doing. And look what it led to. We must use the men and women of Scripture who are human, just like you and me, who experienced the stresses we did, that we do, who experienced the, the pains that we do. All of the things we must learn from them 
A wise woman, a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And excess is one of the arenas where we can learn the most from others without experiencing their pain. All right. That brings us to the last question. How do we handle excess? And a better way to say it is probably how must we handle excess? If we, if we ask the question, how do we, it's a little ethereal, but if we say, how must we handle excess, I think it will lead to the success that we're looking for in order to properly steward this subject. Here's the first answer to the question, how must we handle excess? First, find the good in the midst of the bad. Typically, when we reach for excess, we feel like there, there's some bad going on. We don't reach for bad if we don't feel bad, if we don't feel we're in the middle of bad, if you can't see the good in the bad, you will go chase too much good until the bad turns good. Here's the picture I felt like the Lord gave me. Imagine you only have two ways to live and Colossians three points this out. You can either look up or you can look down. I believe these are the two options as a Christ follower. And I got the picture of the person who was looking down and their, their head's just down, all right? And it, it's, it's just this. Mopey. Okay, what are they staring at? They're staring at the dirt. They're staring at the mud they feel stuck in. You know what happens? When your eyes are on the dirt, you know what you're going to do? You're going to play in the dirt. When, when I walked through Vegas uh, for the first time and people were doing this, handing you know, flyers uh, of ungodly things with undressed women on them and they're falling all over the ground. Well, if I was walking on the, the strip looking down at all the garbage, well, what's going to happen? I'm probably going to be more inclined to walk in the direction of that garbage. Well, what did I try to do? Just keep my head up, right? Colossians 3 verse 2 says it like this. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth or on the earth. Okay, listen, I get it. You're in a tough spot. You're in a rough season. Things seem bad. You've got to learn the, to mind the good from the bad. Because if you can't find the good in the bad, you will start chasing good, which is actually bad because you'll go after too much of it. Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 verse 10 says, for the sake of Christ, then I'm content with weaknesses and insults and hardships, persecutions and calamities. Paul learned how to be content with the nasty stuff. Why? Because he found the good in it for the sake of Christ. There is good in this bad because of Christ. I'm bringing glory to him. I'm a living testimony for him. That was part of his thing. Now, there's, the list can be much longer. Listen, when you learn how to find the good, even in the hard or the bad, it will lead to, to less reaching for stuff you shouldn't be looking at anyways, let alone reaching for. Remember, something good can always come out of something bad when our good God is in it. So first, how must we handle excess? Make sure you learn how to 
Find the good and the bad. Second, make moderation your mode of operation. I was feeling a little rhymy this morning as I wrote this. Make moderation your mode of operation, your MO. Philippians 4 verse 5 says, let your moderation be known to all men. I love the way the King James translates this. I should be known for moderation. I don't want to stay away from good things. I want to stay away from too much of a good thing. My moderation shows self-control, fruit of the Spirit. My moderation shows health. My moderation shows being led by the Holy Spirit. Listen, God gives us everything. He gives us for our enjoyment. He wants us to enjoy what he gives us. Well, moderation is in that. Every good thing he gives me can go too far. And so I must walk in moderation. Here's how I would describe moderation as it relates to things like uh, alcohol or money or uh, anything like that that can, can, that's a little bit as good of, but a lot can, can be destructive. Here's how I describe or define moderation. Moderation is an awareness of where I am and where the line is. Let's go back to the alcohol conversation. Glass of wine isn't bad. I, with a good meal, I enjoy a very good glass of wine. It makes the experience 10 times better. But let's say I'm in a bad place and I'm hurting, I'm broken, I'm completely not self-aware of where I'm at. If I don't know where I am, then here's what I would say. I, I need, in this case, I need to drink even less because moderation involves an awareness of where I am. And also where the line is. Proverbs 25 verse 16 says, Have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. This is the best verse of this entire episode. Is honey bad? Preston, no. Sweets aren't bad. But just, Preston, eat as much as you need, not as much as you want. Because if you eat as much as you want, You'll be filled with it, and that will lead to you getting sick because of it. This is stinking genius, this verse. Like, we could have just had the whole episode of just this one verse right here, okay? A way to deal with excess is to make moderation your MO. I want to be known for somebody who doesn't do a good thing too much. One of the, the, listen, one of the reasons moderation is such a genius play is you'll never get sick of it. If you don't give yourself too much of it, you can't ever get sick of it. All right. Moderation. You knew it was coming up at some point in this conversation on excess. You want to overcome excess? Live a life of moderation. All right. Jesus modeled that life for us. Here's something else. I want you to really think about if you uh, plan on uh, living a life which is constantly overcoming excess. You're, you're not succumbing to excess. Here's what I want you to remember. As responsibility increases, make sure accountability increases too. As you get older, if, if you're uh, doing this right, following Jesus, he's going to give you more responsibility. It's just the way it goes. He's the perfect steward. 
And so to whom much is given, much is required. And how can much be given to someone? It starts with the little things. You'll never be faithful with the big things, scripture says, till you're faithful in the little things. All right. Well, as your responsibility increases, here's something I've learned. Make sure your accountability increases too. We say it like this, the more successful you get, the more accountability you'll need. See, we kind of think of it backwards. We don't think like that. We mistakenly think like this, well, the more successful I get, the less accountable I'll have to be. I think this in part has been part of the downfall of the church in this last season. It's like we've created these, these like leadership vacuums of isolation that really can only lead to one thing, failure. The more responsibility you get, the more accountability you need. Here's why. Listen, if you shun accountability as God increases your responsibility, here's what you're doing. You're, ha- you're choosing to carry all the responsibility by yourself. Good luck with that, kid. Let me just talk about the C-suite for a second. Those with much responsibility. An isolated executive is easy for the enemy to take down. What's an isolated executive or human look like? Someone who's shunning accountability. Don't talk like that to me. Don't, don't bring that up to me. No. No, no, no. That, that, you could talk like that to me when I was down there, but I'm up here now. Please. Bring in more accountability. Well, Preston, what does more accountability look like? Sometimes it just looks like the ability to ask more questions. Preston, how you doing? Where are you at? Hey, I've been noticing this. How do you feel about this in this season with all of this pressure or responsibility? Questions, accountability. <laughs> I, I think many of us, we, we have the accountability partners and we have that picture of the accountability partner that comes in and it's like, do this, don't do that. But that ain't accountability. The best accountability partners I have ever had and presently have ask the most questions. Their responsibility is not to create my boundaries. Their responsibility is to help me discern the boundaries God is asking me to set in this season of my life. And then from time to time, they're making sure I'm enforcing said boundaries. The more successful you get, the more accountability you'll need. I'm talking about organizational accountability as much as I'm talking about personal accountability. Of course, we need organizational accountability. But I think we just think as people, well, I'm, I'm only organizationally accountable, but personally accountable. I, I'm accountable to God. Can't tell you how many times I've heard something like that. That's an excuse. To not be accountable to anyone and therefore do whatever I want, whenever I want. All right. So. If you want to dominate a life, a healthy and godly life of moderation that never succumbs to excess, you're going to need more accountability as you get more responsibility. Next, if you want to dominate over excess fast when things start going too far. This might seem elementary to you. This has been genius for me. I remember one time when I was young at Old Pastors, somebody said, I can't live without this. I think I might be addicted. 
I just can't even say no to it. And here's what I teach them to do. I teach them to fast. Say no. See, they're convinced I can't say no to that. But what they're really saying is I can't say no at all. So I teach them. Okay, what's something that you like? You don't love it as much as that, but you like it a lot. Well, chocolate candy bars. Okay, great. For 40 days, go without chocolate candy bars. Fast. And when you want a chocolate candy bar, replace it with a chapter of God's word. That's what fasting is. Fasting isn't just the act of going without something. It's actually the act of replacing something with something better. Okay, that's fasting according to scripture. If you feel yourself starting to head towards the direction of excess in an area or with a a specific object, fast it. Fast it before it goes too far. Fasting is one of the ways we show God we have it under control. When I can say no to myself for 40 days, so go back to the person saying no to chocolate. When they learn after 40 days that they can say no to themselves and to their flesh with something they they like and kind of love, they learn they can actually say no to themselves as it relates to anything they love. But most people wait till it's too late. If you even feel, so for instance, I'm not trying to hammer this. Let's say you drink a little bit too much. You're not getting drunk, so to speak, but five nights, six nights a week, you're having three classes of wine. Not everybody's, their body is different. You know, you're not drunk, but you're, you're buzzed, but it's like six nights a week and it's not even without food. Here's what I would say. Before it gets out of control, whatever that line is for you, fast. Go a month without it and replace it with a time of prayer. Say five minutes of prayer instead of a candy bar. One chapter of the Bible. Fast before things go too far. This is invaluable to a life of moderation and a spirit-led life of self-control. Fasting is genius as it relates to this conversation. Two more, I think. Here's uh, one of my favorites that I've learned to do. If you want to dominate over excess, learn how to savor the small amounts. The Bible might call this contentment, but I would go one step further. To me, Someone who's learned the art of savoring the small things is someone who's learned how to marry contentment and gratitude. First Timothy chapter six, verses six through nine says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, Preston, and we can't take anything out of the world. Another great reminder about the the frivolity of excess. But if we have food and clothing, small things, not to everyone, but I mean to those of us in the Western world, we would just think the necessities are small things. With these, we'll be content. We'll be happy with it. But those who desire to be rich, to fall into excess, they fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Okay, this, this 
is that slippery slope and the easy way to stay away from excess is just all throughout the day. Find a way to say thank you to God for something that seems small. I thank God for the snowflakes when I'm skiing. I thank God for my favorite donut at the top of the lift. I just went skiing last week for a day and a half. Because love me some skiing. I just thank the Lord on the way up. Lord, thank you for this donut. Lord, thank you for being able to have skis that I can just come right to the hill. Not, whatever. Just the, some of the smaller things. Lord, thank you that I can go get a tea anytime I need to, to help protect and coat my throat when I'm talking a lot. The little things. I typically don't chase excess when I savor the small things. That brings us to the last piece of advice. If you are battling excess, the best piece of advice I can give you is this. Love God excessively. Three words. Fight fire with fire is another way to say it. If, if a spirit of excess is coming at you, attack that lowercase s spirit of excess by loving the spirit of God excessively. The best way to overcome excess is to be excessive in love towards God. This is actually what God desires. The Shema, Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Preston, one of the ways to overcome excess is to be excessive with your love towards me. Here's another way to see it. When I realize he fills me up, I don't look for the tchotchkes of earth to fill me up. I wish I lived here all the time. I admit that I don't, but I will tell you I'm at my best when I do. Live this way. When he is what satisfies my soul. I just don't go searching for cheap stuff to fill the void. Listen, we covered a lot of ground. And uh, here's what I know. I know the Lord wants to be the one you chase more than anything else. He said it in the top 10. He said, not only you shall not worship other gods other than me. He also said, you won't worship idols. You shall not put anything above me. Preston, I don't want you chasing anything to fill the hole you're looking to fill. More than you give me opportunity to fill it. Don't fall for Satan's tricks. He will try and convince you to reach for more of something good. When the first step we should take is towards our good and great God. If you're battling excess, if you feel up under it, if, if there's some habits that have been created over this past season of your life and you just feel like you'll never be able to break those habits, let me just remind you the devil is a liar. Jesus came to set the captive free. 
And if there are habits that have gotten so empowered that you don't think they can be broken, I'm going to pray over you right now that the Spirit of God would sweep in. Let's pray together as we wrap our time up together. God, right now, would you sweep in to wherever they are and for every brother and sister of mine who is up under the the towering shadow of excess and its insatiable appetite for more. God, I pray you would go into the depth of their being, not just to the room they are occupying. You would put your hand upon any and every hurt and you would heal it. You would expose every lie of the enemy that they've been building their lives around. I pray you'd bring the light of life into that dark space. And I pray right now, God, for every person whom the enemy has convinced you're going to struggle with this appetite for the rest of your life. You fed it too much and now it's never going to go away. I break that curse in Jesus' name. That is a lie from the father of lies, your enemy, oh God. And Lord, I speak life and the fruit of the spirit over my brothers and sisters. I pray no matter how heavy this season is, that God, this season would be defined by more of you, not more of it. Help us all to live like that. And Holy Spirit, make us aware when we are not. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I love you so much. And I know we're we're starting to get longer episodes. Uh, I just feel like everything the Lord's given me, I, I, I'm just not cutting as much stuff out of stuff as I used to because I feel like the Lord's given me a picture of a person who needs this and a person who needs this. And I just, I, I'm leaving it in. So uh, if it takes you two or three settings to, to get through an episode, I apologize. Uh, but I would rather fill the banquet table of the Lord with a buffet than to remove some food he wants to dish out that might just get somebody out of a really dark and deep pit. I love you so much. I'm so grateful I get to be on this journey called life with you. Hit me up if I can be praying for you, if there's there's something uh, I can be doing to help. And if you feel like you got a great idea, I'm starting to get, get people DMing me and in the comments saying, Hey, would you do an episode on this? If you feel like the Lord gives you a great idea, shoot it to me, all right? I'm always looking to pray about something the Lord might want to say. I love you so much. Thanks for taking time to sit in this conversation with me, hopefully even more so with the Lord. Can't wait to sit with you again next time. See you then.